Take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter number 6. Mark chapter number 6. Mark chapter number 6. And we're going to start reading verse number 35. I got to pass along a very heartfelt thank you for the wonderful vote on Sunday. And uh, it's beyond, uh, I'm overwhelmed by the support. And I'm very excited about what the Lord has in store. And uh, I know I sent out an email later this week uh, that uh, just asking you to pray for some things, uh, to pray for us as we go through this transition and, and pray for uh, going forward, just to help them, things will come together. Pray for my health and safety and my family as well. As uh, it's all, When you get really busy, isn't it easy to get sick? It's easy for me to get sick anyway. I can't speak for everybody else, but uh, just appreciate your prayers in that regard. And let's be praying that we'll see more folks come to our church and more folks get saved. Amen. And I'm really praying for that. I want to see folks come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. So let's be in prayer about that. So this morning's message is the Lord of the small things. That's the title of my message. The Lord of the small things. Let's start reading in Mark chapter number 6 and verse number 35. And when the day was now far spent, his disciples came unto him and said, This is a desert place, and now the time is far past. Send them away, that they may go into the country round about, and into the villages, and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. And he answered and said unto them, Give ye them to eat. And they said unto him, Shall we go and buy two hundred penny worth of bread, and give them to eat? And he saith unto them, How many loaves have ye? Go and see. And when they knew, they, had, they said, or say, five and two fishes. And he commanded them to make all sit down by companies upon the green grass. And they sat down in ranks by hundreds and by fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and two fishes, he looked up to heaven and blessed and brake the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fishes divide he among them all. And did they all eat and were filled. And they took up twelve baskets full of fragments of the fishes. And they did eat of the loaves were about 5,000 men. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Dear Jesus, thank you for another time we have this morning to be together. And Lord, I pray this will be a profitable time in your word, Lord. To encourage us to face what's before us. To help us understand how great you are and how much you care. Lord, allow this to be a great morning and a decision in our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord of the small things. When we think of God, our God, we think of Him in terms of great, marvelous, wonderful, maybe beyond our description, glorious. He is the God of this awesome creation. Beautiful creation. He spoke creation into existence. By a word, He made what we see and feel and hear today. He he spoke it. It's amazing. He sent His word through human instruments. To give us a record, a record for us as humans, as men, which is inspired and perfect, and today we have it and it's preserved. Amen. I don't have to wonder if there's anything else that God wants to add. I know it. I have it. God sent His Son into this world to die for sinners like me and you. He provided a way to be saved through Jesus Christ dying and, and raising again the third day. He would, if we would accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, He would adopt us into His family at that moment. That instant, and we have a security in heaven forever. 
when we take our final breath or when the Lord calls us through the rapture, through uh, returning with Him in the clouds of the air. That's amazing. It's amazing. And there's no question that we serve a God who specializes in the impossible. He is miraculous. He saved you. That's a miracle. Amen? Save me. It's a miracle. But I want to point out some things about the Lord of the small things. He's a God who moves in big ways, but God is also a God who's able to take the small, insignificant things of this world and use them for His glory. He does that all the time. This passage before us reveals that truth. As we watch Jesus feed the multitudes, we need to remember the one who accomplished that that day is our Lord. And that Lord, Jesus, is the same today as He was way back then. His power has not faded. He, He has not grown old. He's not diminished. He's still the same. In 2017, as He was down that day on that green grass in the hills of Israel, He's still the same. He's the Lord of the small thing and He wants to use the small thing today. By the way, this miracle here of the feeding of 5,000 is the only miracle that I know of. I'm, you can prove me wrong. Check it out. That'd be good for you. Get in the Bible. Check it out. See if I'm wrong. It is the only one that's recorded in all four Gospels. It's the only one that I know about. That's pretty interesting. First of all, He is the Lord of small fears. He is the Lord of small fears. The people had followed Jesus to the other side. Uh, we saw that last time we looked in this portion of Scripture as we've been going through it. Uh, they followed Him from all around the shoreline. And, and Jesus spent the day uh, with them teaching in verse 35. And when the day was now far spent. So all day the Lord had been teaching. That must have been amazing. Sit around Jesus' feet and hear Him teach and preach. And now the disciples come to Him and interrupt. And they demand the people be sent away. And the disciples came unto Him and said, This is a desert place. And now the time is far past. Send them away. They may go into the country around about, into the villages, and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. Demanded they send them away so they could find food to eat. These men were afraid that the, the people would not be able to find food as the hour was growing later. And evidently they were tired and they were hungry themselves. And I think it's the right assumption to think that the people would be. After the crowds uh, had followed Jesus, as soon as he left the other side, they, they, they all taken off after him around the coastline. I didn't think, they, well, obviously they didn't stop to make a lunch before they left. Hey, can you remember as a kid, something really exciting happens outside and you, like, <coughs> out the door. You're gone. You don't think of anything else but that event. Anyone ever happened to? Maybe you don't even want to say that it happened to me this week as an adult. But at any rate, you know, it happens. And these people are very similar. And I understand I would probably have been the same way. Jesus here, I'm gone. I'm not even thinking about lunch I'm not thinking about anything else. I just want to go hear Jesus. And they ran out the door. Now they're 10 miles away from home, or they're maybe even more miles. And they're in a desert desert, uh, location. There's not much around. There's no food to be found. There's no Tim Hortons around. You know, there's no fast food establishments around the corner. I mean, the disciples said, Lord, you preached long enough, Lord. Dismiss the service. Say amen and get these people home. The disciples were full, or were filled with doubt and fear. If Jesus keeps this up, none of them are going to get to eat. Now, <clears throat> you all know how much I like to eat. I love food. So if I was among the twelve of those disciples coming to Jesus saying, Lord, you need to send them home and get some food, I'd be like, Amen. Let's go, Lord. I'm just telling you how I would feel. 
I would. I, I, I know what I'm like. But they came with fear. They came with fear. Expressing doubt. Let me ask you a few questions. Do you ever look at a situation you face in life and you become afraid? I'm talking about your life now. I'm talking about your neighbor right next to you. The person in front of the pew. I'm talking about you. Do you ever look at a lost family member, husband, wife, child, aunt, uncle, grandma, grandpa, whatever it is, and wonder if they'll ever be saved? Are you afraid to open that mailbox because it might contain another bill? And you've been working hard, you've been doing your best, and, and, you, and the bills keep coming. You can't seem to get ahead. Do you ever look at the condition of the world and become afraid? Wondering where, what it will all turn out to be? Now, I'll be really honest with you. I don't even like listening to news anymore. I don't get no encouragement from that source, I guarantee you. But you ever fear? The answer is yes, we all do. We all do. Being afraid of the unknown is part of living in this world, right? You know, last Sunday afternoon, I did not know what the church would vote. Now, I wasn't fearful, but I still did not know. Now, we, we all have those parts of life we don't know. We don't understand. And we have concerns, and there's nothing wrong with having a concern. You see something that maybe is not quite right? I know this past week, I was in Ottawa for a national pastor's conference. And I had some friends from Newfoundland up and from out west, and we were talking about some things and concerns about uh, you know, church, how we should be moving forward, and uh, in, in general terms, not specific, and just in life, and sharing those concerns. He was telling me about his, I was telling him about mine. There's nothing wrong with concern, but the problem is fear and worry. The problem arose. Uh, when the when like the disciples uh, in the presence of the Lord of glory, they were worried. They were in fear, and to their eyes, he could not handle this situation. It looked impossible. They were not coming to Jesus in faith. They were coming to him in fear. They were saying, "Lord, this problem is greater than you. You, you don't, we don't think you can handle it. Uh, you better tell these people to go. And if you don't, there's going to be trouble." This morning, you may have never said those exact words, but we probably have acted in the same manner as the disciples many years ago. We fret and we worry over problems. We're filled with, filled with doubt concerning the Lord's ability to take care of us, to solve them. Now, worry and fear, anxiety is a big deal in our world today, if you didn't know. It's a big deal. Now, I, 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 this following information I gave you is from WebMD. Now, let me give you this little parenthesis here. Do not diagnose yourself on WebMD, okay? Because you will find you have 17 different diseases and you'll probably die within the next seven minutes, okay? No, this is just some information I found, uh, you know, and going forward. The information was chronic worrying can affect your daily life so much it may interfere with your appetite, your lifestyle habits, your relationships, your sleep, and your job performance. That's what worry can do. And you can't even touch that, can you? That's an emotion that can overwhelm you. And many people worry so excessively, they actually 
considered anxiety-ridden. That's the term the medical world gives them. And they seek relief in a lot of harmful lifestyle choices and habits. Overeating, smoking, using alcohol and drugs. That's the way some people, when they're so so high in anxiety, that's what they do to reduce that level. You know, today in North America, there's over 40 million people like that prescribed giving drugs or doctors are helping. That's beyond those who don't go to a doctor. That's a lot of people. That's more than our country. All right? That's a lot of people who are dealing with that issue of, uh, of chronic worrying and anxiety. Instead of coming to Jesus with a heart that says, Lord, I believe in you. I know this problem is, is too big for me, but it's nothing for you. It's nothing for you. You can carry your problems around and let them drain you spiritually, because that's what will happen. And I and listen, I'm preaching to myself just as much as I'm preaching to you, because I could be really worried. I don't have a problem getting to the worry spot. You know, some people, you may, you may say, well, Pastor Hawkeye, you're so relaxed. Listen, I have to make sure I go to the Lord and say, Lord, help me, because I will worry. I will get uh, very anxious and, and concerned, beyond concern, I'll, I'll doubt. And if I don't watch it, it'll drain the spiritual batteries real quick. Real quick. And I'll remind you that worries is sin, Romans 14, 23 tells us. And I also remind you that the Lord has commanded us to trust in Him in times of fear and, and to re- refuse to allow it to have a place in our hearts. In Philippians 4, 6, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. We need to come to Him. Our Savior is the Lord of small fears. Now, I know you might say, well, Pastor Alcock, you don't know how what I'm facing today. The problem that I have, boy, it, it's very significant. It's not little. It's not little. It, it, uh, when I wake up in the morning, it's there. When I put my head to the pillow, it's there. And I can hardly sleep at night. And, and it's all around me and I can't get away from it. And, and I come to church and I get a little bit of relief. And, but it's all, it can compass me. There's anything but small, Pastor Alcott. That's the same attitude ten spies had when they went into the Canaan land and saw those giants back in Numbers chapter 13. It was an attitude as, I don't care who God is, that's too big. That's too big. And regardless of the fears you may have today, and I'm not trying to downplay it and, and say that, you, you're, that the situation is insignificant, but it's insignificant compared to God. It is. It's insignificant compared to God. He created this universe by His mouth. He spoke it and it became. You think your problem's too big for Him? He can meet your need. If He can keep Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego through that fiery furnace, He can help you through your problem. If He can help David slay Goliath, He can take care of you. If He can calm the storm for the disciples, which we've looked at before, He can take care of you. If you know Him as your Savior today, He can take care of you. Aren't you glad for that? He's there. He loves you. He cares for you. Whatever your fear today, bring it to Him. And leave it in His hand. He is more than able to take care of you. I love this verse in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now to Him that is able to exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. 
That's encouraging for me this morning. Oh, listen, folks, I'm excited about being your new pastor, but at the same time, there's a big weight of responsibility. And it'd be easy for me to get in that worry category real quick. And even this week, as I was preparing this message, like, Lord, you want me to preach this? I'm preaching to myself. I'm preaching to myself. You can do it, see, above all that we ask or think. You can do it. Number two, he is the Lord of little faith. He is Lord of little faith. And verse number 37. He answered and said unto them, Give ye, to, give ye them to eat. And they said unto him, Shall we go and buy 200 penny worth of bread and give them to eat? And he saith unto them, How many loaves have ye? Go and see. And when they knew, they say, Five and two fishes. When Jesus hears the fear of his men, he says, well, feed them. Feed them. If they're hungry, give them something to eat. This command is immediately met with an expression of absolute unbelief. Absolute. Now, from John's gospel, we get the same record of this event. And we know that Philip is the one who spoke uh, these words about, you know, uh, uh, 200 penny worth of bread. That's not enough. I mean, and, and that's impossible. I can almost see your expression. Has someone come to you and actually do something that you thought was impossible? You know, when that happens, you don't look at them and say, okay, sure, no problem. I'll take care of that. No, you know what happens usually is like, what are you talking about? Did you bang your head this morning? I can't do that. That's impossible. You know, and I can almost see, now they weren't being disrespectful to the Lord, but I can almost see Philip's face like, this is impossible. You, you probably see, you get some of your friends who, they, they look at you, that's impossible. You know, some of those disciples were probably doing that. Now, a penny refers to a denarius, which was a day's wage for the average worker. It would take an average worker eight months to earn the amount of money Philip's talking about here. It was more money than they could say, okay, we're having ourselves an offering now, and then we're going to go over to that store and we're going to get some food. No, that wasn't even enough. To, to, if they did get that much money, it was hardly enough just to give them a taste. It's impossible. Jesus said, feed them. And, and the disciples like, we don't have the resources. This is a problem we can't solve. We see the problem. No food. We see the people. There's lots of them and still no food. Lord, and there's no food around. It's impossible. They, they looked, considered their problem. They summed it up and they said, impossible, insurmountable. This supper will not happen. It didn't matter that they had already seen Jesus turn the water into wine. They'd seen Jesus heal the lepers. They'd seen the, the Lord heal the maniac of Kadera. Did Jesus calm the storms and healed people with incurable disease? It did not matter that he had proven himself time and time and time again to these disciples. They all they saw was the obstacle that was before them, and they said, We can't, and we don't believe you can do it either. Now, before we get really upset with the disciples, I mean, I could get really upset with them, couldn't I? And you'd be giving me the amens, like, That's right, Pastor Alcock, you give it to them. We are no better. They're probably worse. Has God ever failed you? God has not failed. He's not able to fail. Now, you might not got what you wanted, 
But that's different to the need, isn't it? God takes care of His children. Didn't He save your soul and change your life when you ask Him by faith? You just simply accepted what He gave And He changed you in a moment. Hasn't He given you assurance upon assurance that you belong to Him? Isn't our, our Father a great Father, our Heavenly Father? To continually tell us through Scripture, You are mine. You're mine. I love you. I hold you in my hand. You're a child. I adopt you. I make you as a son and daughter of the king. I mean, he continuously tells us that. Can't you think of as being a parent or maybe as an uncle or an aunt, you're encouraging that nephew and niece or your son and daughter. I love you. I care for you. You're part of my family. Hey, we respond to that as humans, don't we? We need it. I'm so glad that my parents didn't tell me for 18 years. Yeah, Mark, you're adopted. We really don't know why we adopted you. I wouldn't really feel too secure, would I? But our Heavenly Father continually tells us, I love you. I care for you. You're part of my family. You're part of the kingdom. I love you. You're, you're a son and daughter of mine. Continually tells us. Continually tells us. Ephesians 2 8 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and not yourselves is the gift of God. You know, our faith was small, small when we accepted Jesus Christ as Savior. And all small our faith was, we just received the gift. That's all we did. When we found out that we were lost, we found out someone told us that I was lost on my way to a crisis eternity and ended up in a place called hell, and someone told me, but there's some good news. Jesus Christ died for you. And if you accept and repent of your sin and accept Him as your Lord and Savior, you'll be saved. All the faith that it took for me was to say, well, I repent of that. I need Jesus. Please, Lord, take me. That's all. He did the rest. Because I didn't have to do a 12-step process to get saved, did I? No, immediately. Once I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I was saved. That little bit of faith you had touched the boundless grace of Jesus and you are saved forever. That's amazing. That's amazing. It doesn't take great faith to get big answers from the hand of the Lord. Matthew 17, 20 says, If you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say in this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall move, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Now, this verse in Mark chapter 9, we're still going to get to that in the weeks ahead, uh, but it's the father of a, a young boy who's possessed. And, and I, I, this verse, as I read it, it's like, man, I can connect with this man. I, I understand what he said. And Jesus said unto him, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. Have you ever been there? You know you trust the Lord, but you're like, Lord, help my unbelief. It seems greater than my belief. Help me. I can, man, I, I, when I read that scripture, I'm like, oh, man, I understand where he's coming from. I'm there too sometimes. Help my unbelief, Lord. The God will honor faith. The Lord will honor little faith. And we've got to come believing. He won't honor unbelief. He'll honor those who believe. Even though our belief, our faith might be small, He'll honor it. Now this week, I was dealing with some things in my own life and, and, and helping people. And this next statement really hit me this week. When we act like the disciples and look at the problem instead of the problem solver, 
we can expect nothing but failure. When I get so focused on the problem that I don't look to the problem solver, I will fail. I need to look to the problem solver. And I'm not saying that it's a magic bullet that the problem's instantly solved. No, but He'll give me grace, He'll give me strength, and He will provide. I've seen it dozens and dozens of times. And we can, we can see it in God's Word as well. Those who stepped up by faith. Gideon in his 300. Wasn't that a step of faith? Like 10,000 men to go against the hordes that were in Israel that time? I would think that's not nearly enough. Then he gets to 300. Yeah, I don't know if I would still want to be in that group. But he stepped up by faith. And, and that's a biblical example. And we see examples of people, even our own church, who've given the problem to the Lord. And like, Lord, we're going to let you solve it. We don't understand it all, but we'll watch you do it. And he's ta- I've done it time and time again. He's the Lord of the meager food, number three. He's the Lord of the meager food. Verse number 39. And he commanded them to make all sit down by companies upon the green grass. And they sat down in ranks by hundreds and by fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and two fishes, he looked up to heaven and blessed and break the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fishes divided he among them all. And they did all eat and were filled. And they took up twelve baskets of full of fragments of the fishes. And they did eat of the loaves. There were about five thousand men. After their display of faithlessness, Jesus asked them, how much food do you have around, fellows? How much do we have? And from all the accounts we have, of all those people, there was one lunch. One lunch from a little boy who had five loaves and two fishes. Now, I think a loaf of bread, and I think of my grandma making a big loaf of bread okay, in her oven. That was delicious. You know, and it could, I could get four or five really big sandwiches out of that, if you know what I'm talking about. Really big, fat slices of bread. I mean, maybe you get 15 slices, that's what I'm thinking. Listen, this, that's not that kind of loaf. It's not that kind of loaf. It's more like the size of a biscuit in our terminology today, what we think about. And that fish, oh man, I grew up with fish, so I'm, I'm thinking of big salmon and, you know, maybe... Maybe some big slabs of codfish. Mm. No, no. This fish, these fishes we're talking about here would be like sardines. It's really, really insignificant. And it's really just enough for a little boy. I got boys. I know how much they eat. All right, just, just barely enough for a little boy. And when they return, the disciples to tell them, Andrew was the one in John chapter 6 says, what is this among so many? You know, eyes rolling maybe and the disciples shaking their head like this isn't going to work. They, they look around and there's this huge crowd. They're hungry. We have this maybe size of a, maybe that big a lunch for all them. That's not possible. And humanly speaking, it is not possible. It's absolutely right. It was not possible, human perspective. But Jesus didn't flinch. He commanded them to, to sit down in companies. That word literally means in rows. Like you, you think about like vegetables in a garden. You know how some you know people, some people are really good at keeping perfect rows, right? 
just nice for all the vegetables to grow. So that's the idea that we get here is to sit them like that in an orderly fashion. Now, it doesn't have that, that bit of information doesn't give us a lot for what we're talking about this morning, but it does give us the reality that God is a God of order. All right. He's a God of order. Then Jesus takes that the five loaves and two fishes. He lifts his face toward heaven. He blesses the food. And Jesus, you know, Jesus was not upset the provisions were so meager. He was not bothered that it was just a couple sardines and a few little small biscuits. He took what was given to him and he began to break it. He, he, the words break and gave are important. They indicate they kept on breaking and kept on giving. Kept on giving. In verse number 41. And he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and he gave them to the disciples and before them. Kept doing it. Kept doing it. I mean, I'm sure the first couple of disciples like, well, this is going to end real fast. So way we have enough food for everybody. But they kept coming back. They kept coming back. And the Lord kept on multiplying that fish, multiplying that loaf. Jesus exercised the miracle right before them all. And could you imagine the faces of the disciples just a few moments ago, total doubters, in fear, worrying. And now they're seeing it all just evaporate, that worry and fear. To feed 5,000 men plus women and children. Matthew 14, 21 tells us that. It would have required them to go back to Jesus a few times, don't you think? It would have took some time. And each time they were probably expecting to find the Lord said, that's it, I don't have any more. But every time they came back, there was always more to give. He kept breaking and giving until every person in that crowd didn't just have a taste. They were full. They were full. They, their desire was met. And when the disciples took up the leftovers, there were 12 baskets full. Have you ever been proven wrong in something in life? Nothing really serious, but you know, you're feeling a little sheepish. No, one, no one's nodding their heads, but I know you all feel it once or twice. Can you imagine those 12, every disciple bringing back a basket? Philip? Wow. What an amazing Savior. What an amazing event. Jesus took what was available and multiplied it for His glory. And when we give Him what we have, He'll use us in amazing ways. He'll use you. If you will give yourself to Him. You know, the, the disciples kind of had a, a couple of ideas here. They're first like, let's get rid of the problem. Get the people out of here. Get them out of here. Another one said, well, maybe we should raise some money in John chapter 6. Uh, we have we have a little bit here. We found this little lunch, but it's not enough. And then the last thing was they gave it to Jesus and what, what Jesus did. If you can learn to bring the little that you have to Jesus and let Him have it, He will use you in amazing ways. He will. He can use your small faith for His honor and glory. He can bring, bring your little praise, the little bit that you can, and let God get the glory. Now bring your meager abilities to Him and watch Him do the miraculous. Do you believe He can do that today? 
I certainly do because he has not changed from Mark chapter number six. He has not changed. He's still Lord. And he specializes in using the small thing to amaze men and to reveal his glory. He does. I'm a testimony of that. I'm not, I'm not anything great or marvelous, but the Lord used a little fellow from uh, Newfoundland and I'm serving the Lord, doing my best, and He's using us. He's using you if you're doing the same thing. Don't think that you're insignificant. You can't do anything. Listen, give what you have to the Lord and watch Him use it. And you don't even know what you can do until you get to heaven and see what how you affected that person you gave a track to you never met again and they got saved and they reached their family members. You don't know. But use what you have and it might be small, but use it. I think of that stick of the hand of Moses. He used the stick. I mean, I know the Lord empowered it, but he was willing to be used, wasn't he? Went across the Red Sea and saw Pharaoh and his armies destroyed that little boy named David. One of my favorite stories in the Bible. I don't know about you, but if I saw a big, stinky, hairy, huge, ugly guy over there, the last things I want to do is like, yeah, I'm going to get my stones. He wasn't very old, folks. And he, yeah, I'm... Hey, little David was used because he was willing to be used. Hey, that little piece of bread called manna fed his, the people for 40 years. That little widow had that little meal, a little oil, and she kept using it for the Lord and kept taking care of the Lord's man. Who knows what he'll do with your little or small thing. But you need to get it into his hands. You need to get it into his hands. Do you have something that you're holding back? No, I'll keep this for myself. I really can't use this. No. Give it to Him and see what He will do. You can be part of transforming someone else's life. You're saved. The Lord has transformed you. But you give that what you have and see someone else transformed. I think the story of D.L. Moody, the shoe salesman and his Sunday school teacher came in I can't even remember his name now. I always want to try to remember because it's so important. We never heard much about that man, that Sunday school teacher. But he used what he had. He had a Sunday school class and he had a little fellow, a young man named D.L. Moody coming. And D.L. Moody needed to hear about Jesus. He went to his workplace. He witnessed to him. D.L. Moody got saved. And the rest is history. It's amazing how many people came to, his, to the Lord through his ministry. But it was start back from a man who had a little and he used it. Don't think that you don't have something because you do. The Lord has equipped you. He has a plan for you. He has a purpose for you. Well, let's make something very clear. Jesus could have fed that multitude with nothing. He could have. He could have spoken and the greatest banquet table of all time could have appeared, materialized, and those folks could have sat and ate the greatest meal of all time by the word of the Lord. But he chose to use someone and that by choosing to use someone, God was glorified. He was. Bring your talents and abilities and put them in his hand. 
I mean, I don't know exactly all how uh, it took place. Maybe that little boy came along with the disciples and put it in Jesus' hand. Maybe we need to be like that little boy today. And we take that little thing that we have, that little bit of ability. You might say, well, I have a lot of ability. Well, just give it to the Lord. The Lord, 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 use you. Be humble about it. Give it to His hand. Watch Him use it. Bring your gifts. And watch Him multiply them for His glory. I, I, I cannot speak for you individually. But I want to be a vessel for the Lord. And if you're here this morning and you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can be too. You can be a vessel of honor and glory to God. You know, some critics and liberal theologians look at this passage and they're always trying to discredit the Bible and discredit God. And they determine that it could not have happened like this because it's impossible. <laughs> and it is impossible outside the Lord. One liberal commentator said it was an optical illusion. It appeared, that the, it appeared that the loaves and fishes were multiplied. I don't know about you, but no optical illusions ever fed me. I want the real deal. I don't want an optical illusion. I've been in the house of mirrors. I know what's real and what's not. Now, this is real. Folks, let's take the Bible face value, amen? He took a little, and boy, he made a lot. He took the small thing and made it huge. Maybe you got a situation, as we said before. Maybe you're really in fear about it. And folks, don't think for a moment that you might be the only person who fears. We all do, but we all have to bring it to the Lord. That's the proper procedure. He's still taking, he's still taking folks in. He's still saving people. He's still desiring his his saints, his children, to come to him and give what they have to him. With every head bowed and every eye closed.